So how are you? You're well? That's good. I don't, I don't know how to break it to you, but um, first service had pavlova. No? No reaction. <laughs> no, we had some, yes. Okay. There's still cake there, yeah. Ah, it's good to see you. It's wonderful to be in this warm, cosy room, gathered amongst brothers and sisters, knowing that God is with us, knowing that his presence is here to uh, not only to worship, but also to bless us. And, uh, and uh, I trust you'll be blessed this morning as we continue in his word. Um, let's just begin, shall we? Let's, let's pray our prayer, shall we? So if you would bow your heads and bow your hearts before him, let's start. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that uh, we are your children and that you are our God. Thank you, Father, that you guide us according to your truth, Lord, that you've, Lord, you revealed your son, you revealed his wonderful salvation, you've revealed yourself through your precious word. You've called us deeper into relationship with you. Call, call us, Lord, into that place of intimate fellowship. May we be believers of prayer, submitted to you, Father, earnestly, wholeheartedly, desiring your presence, your purpose, and your blessing in all the things of life. And, and Lord, we ask you to search our hearts. Search us, Lord. You know us, oh precious God. Search us and change us, Father. Expose those things that need to be exposed, those things that need to be brought brought to the light. Restore us and keep us, Father, from the things that would keep us from you. And may that precious message, that gospel message, Lord, transform our lives. May it change us every single day. And may it be the message that we have for this world. Oh, shape our hearts, Father. Shape our lives according to your gospel. And may we, as we pray every week, Lord, be a people that are not satisfied with anything less than a, than a fruitful life in you. Lord, we're done with careless living. Thank you, Father, that you would just call us to a holier life, a more sanctified life, precious Lord, a life of substance that takes us beyond the walls of church and home into the world with something actually meaningful to say, O oh God, and to live before people. Father, what we're simply saying is we're here. We know you're our God. We know you're, we're your children. And precious Lord, we're ready to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, what's the orchestra? <laughs> oh, I've never seen him run so fast. Uh, is it me? No. Yeah. Well, a few weeks back, we started to look at what you know we call, which are the I beseech the verses from the Apostle Paul, and there are there are many of them. 
But as stated, you know, when the Apostle Paul says, I beseech thee, he uses this word, this, 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 this strong calling. It's, a, it's someone calling you near unto them. It's when someone leans in and just, it's almost, they almost embrace you and just lean into your ear and say, this is so, so important. It's so important that you hear this. And that's what this I beseech you is. And so each week it's been Paul saying, I beseech thee. And this morning, if you would actually, if you would go to uh, Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read some other verses to you, but um, I'll I'll get there in a minute. But the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in verse 19, he says, Therefore I beseech ye, there it is, it's I beg of you, it's, 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 it's this pleading again, it's this calling, you need to hear this. I beseech thee, he says, be ye followers of me, or be imitators of me. Now that's the Apostle Paul speaking. Now to bring context to that statement, he would later say to the Corinthians in the 11th chapter, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He would say to the writers, to the believers at Philippi, he would say, brethren, join in following my example. Again, to the Philippians in chapter 4, he would say, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, he said, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. So it's the pleading, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. Be followers of me. As I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, it's almost hard to say that, isn't it? To be able to say to somebody, look at my life and recognise that my life is like his life and you can trust my life, you can follow my life. What an amazing thing to be able to say it. Again, it's a fearful statement to come from somebody's lips, but by virtue of the fact that the, that the Bible says it, it means we should be able to say it, Right? We should be able to look at one another and look at our family and look at our loved ones and say, as you see Christ in me, as you see me live a life in obedience to Christ, you can follow my example. What a powerful thing that is. Has anybody got on their bookshelves a book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps? Anybody? It's been around for a long time. He wrote it about 120 odd years ago. And the book draws upon the idea that we as believers should not make a decision without asking ourselves or asking the question, what would Jesus do here? Remember remember a few years ago? People started wearing wristbands and even people even got it tattooed on them. I don't know. But, but, you know, but you know, all these things. And it was the question, what would Jesus do? And sadly, the media got a hold of it. And it was, I, I saw it in quite a few instances where it became a mockery. But, but still, Sheldon's principle was asking the question, what would Jesus do? And it's a good question, isn't it? It's a really good question. Because what it does, it captures the essence of the Christian life, which is... The essence of the Christian life is we want to be like Jesus. We want to be like him. In 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says these words in verse 2. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, 
and has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that what he is that when he is revealed or that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall behold him as he is and so what the scripture does it bears witness to the ultimate desire of humanity of christians being fulfilled it bears witness of that ultimate fulfillment in that we will experience christian this is you this is me this is us we will experience holy perfection, Christ-like existence, that's your destiny. When Jesus appears, you're going to be like him. When we see him face to face and he appears, we shall behold him as he is, but we will be like Christ. Our destiny. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a verse that I think is often, verse 12, is often misunderstood. But he says this, Now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall be known, even as I am known. Again, it's looking forward to that ultimate revelation of Christ. When Christ comes... And we are perfected. Then I will know even as I am known. It's talking about perfect knowledge, isn't it? As God knows me, I will have that perfect knowledge. And that's sort of really beyond our ability to really even conceive of what it's going to be like. To be like Christ. So again, in 1 John chapter 3, it casts... It casts our view to his return when we will be perfected in his image. But let's not stop there. We so often stop at that verse because the next verse is very important. The next verse is about now. It's about the here and now. Because in light of that, in light of our ultimate perfection, when Christ returns, he then says in verse 3, and everyone who has this hope, who's got that hope? Who has that desire? To be done with this, you know, to be done with this struggle, to be done with the, this, this failing and to be done with it all. And to be glorified, to be like Christ. That's us. That's our hope. And so he says, and everyone who has this hope in him, in them, he says, purifies themselves just as he is pure. In other words, if holy perfection in Christ's image is our guaranteed destiny and it is, then right now, right now, we should be in that process. Right now, we should be striving, and this is what the Apostle Paul was alluding to, we should be striving to be imitators of Christ. As Christ was, so too should we strive to be that. So, so we know this verse. Imitate me even as I imitate Christ. And so what do we do? We, we look at Christ, don't we? We examine the life of Jesus Christ. And we look at him and we see what was it like? Well, we see that it was a life of prayer. You know, we look at Jesus Christ and we see in him that he did not do anything, did he? Without complete prayerful dependence upon his Father in heaven. You know, the disciples knew it. They were aware of it. You know, every time that Jesus went off and prayed for the night, you know, every single day of time, they knew the next day something crazy was going to happen. 
They knew there was going to get wild because he had been in the presence of the Father all night long and he was going to do something truly. That's why, that's why the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray, you know. And he gave them what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And he didn't give that to us as a plaque to put on the wall or something to, to repeat simply ad nauseum. No, it wasn't simply, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. No, teach us how to pray. Make us prayers like you. Why did they ask that? Because you know what? They had seen some incredible things in the life of Jesus. But the only thing that we actually have recorded of them asking Jesus what that, to teach them something was, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they realised that everything that happened in his life was dependent upon the fact, that, the fact that he was in prayerful communion with his Father in heaven. Teach us how to pray. And so we look at that and we say, OK, there's the example before us. Jesus lived a life of prayer. Every decision... We see that every decision he made, we see that every response, everything that was based upon the Word of God. So we understand that he was a man, uh, he, was, he was in the Word of God. He understood that. It directed his life. We look at his life now. We see that he is prayer. We see that he was in the Word of God. We see that he lived a selfless life of service. In fact, he said of himself, he said, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we look at this example. This is who Jesus was. He committed no sin. There was no deceit in him whatsoever. We see someone that simply does good all the time. But not only that, we see someone who does good, but in doing God good, we then see that Jesus was unjustly punished for doing good, don't we? And being, unpun being punished for justly doing good, we then see even more importantly, we see how he responded to that. He was mistreated and what did he not do? He did not retaliate. We don't see that anywhere in the life of Jesus. And so we see this is who Jesus is. We see he was someone who entrusted himself in complete dependence upon the Father. We see this example and we ask ourselves, according to the word, are we following him? Are we imitating him? Do you ever ask that question? Because Paul asks that question. Are we, are we following his example? But you know, here's the thing. More often than, no, more than we would like, I should say, we find ourselves in this process of imitating Christ, being Christ-like, towards people and how many times has this happened to you you've been like Jesus you've poured your life in Christ likeness into somebody else's life and they just throw it back in your face I'm the only one no 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 I know I'm not no. it's hard isn't it it really is hard you know you know, sometimes you just find yourself saying, come on. Well, come on. You know I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to hurt you. You know, I'm just... I, I, I'm just really... I really want to bless you. I, you know this is who I am. And sometimes, again, it's just hard. But, you know, Donna and I, yesterday, we were... Um, we were um, doing something that we don't very often get to do together. 
You know, it was, it was my birthday yesterday, and so Donna and I, together, we went downtown. And we just wandered around the shops together. It was great. Bumped into some of you, in fact, you know. And um, it, it was great, you know. But here's the thing. We were coming out of the supermarket, out of uh, um, Kmart there, and we were coming down the escalator. And coming down the escalator were two people that I know. So we were coming down, they were going up. Right? So we were going down, and one side there was a person that goes to this church, uh, actually, in this room right now, so you know I'm not here to dob you in, but it was coming down, it was going up, and behind them was another person who used to go to this church. Uh-huh. And so as we're coming down, it's that thing, you know that experience, acknowledging people. Blah, blah. Well, as you come down, there, there was the first person. There he was. And there was, op- there was immediate connection. Brothers in Christ. There was this immediate connection. And I saw the big beam on his face, and I'm sure he saw it in mine. It was just wonderful to see one another. You know, it was, it was great. You know, this is what it is to be in the family of God. Wherever we are, there is this great communion. There's, a, there's something spiritual that takes place when we come into one another's presence. It's glorious. It was great. That was the first person. It was, oh, there you go, right? And then right behind them was the second person. And exactly in the same way, that person's eyes fixed on my gaze. Locked straight in. Locked straight in and then said, you should be ashamed of yourself. And just kept on going. You know? You should be ashamed of yourself. You know, I got to the bottom of the uh, esca- uh, the the escalator and I looked at Donna and said to Donna this is why I don't come to town <laughs> you know? and um, but you know you can you can find yourself sometimes thinking I've only ever tried to help you I've only ever poured my life in I serve you I've given you I've sacrificed for you and 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 the, and the next thing you discover these people they're tearing you to pieces and and all you ever wanted to do is be a blessing all you ever wanted is to see them lives to succeed to discover the beauty and the wonder of what it is to be in Christ that's all you ever wanted and so when days like yesterday happen and let me tell you that was that was, that was pretty mild you know I'm being a bit of a baby actually I am, you know. But the thing is, they happen more than you want them to. And when they do happen, I remind myself of something that I read a long, long time ago. And, and it's this. Yes, Jesus did give us an example to follow. Yes, he did. But rather than asking what would Jesus do in that situation, in any circumstance. Rather than asking, what would Jesus do? I should ask myself, who does Jesus want me to be in that situation? See, see, I can do, at the same time, I can be something completely contrary to what I'm actually doing. And my actions may not be portraying the reality of what my heart is really saying. And so rather than asking the question, what would Jesus do right now? I should ask myself, who does Jesus want me to be in this situation? 
And I say that because Jesus is so much more. Sheldon's book is a good book, but Jesus is so much more than just an example, isn't he? He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's God. He's my saviour. He's my deliverer. He's my provider. He's the one who has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He is the most important one in existence. So much more than just an example. And so again, when we say imitate Christ, again, we immediately begin to start to look at him with our physical eyes And we look at his movements and we look at his choices and we look at his responses and his actions and it's right to do that. But if we are going to truly be imitators of Christ, we've got to go deeper than that. We've got to go so much deeper than the things that we're ever really going to see with our physical vision. We've got to get closer than what we see. Do you understand what I mean by that? We've got to get closer than what we see. Yes, we see him. And he's beautiful to behold. And we do what we and we do what we see him do. But how we do it depends on who we are. Who we are. What Christ has done for us. So who are we? Who are we really? Well, we are Christians, right? And we, and we are Christians and we want to do the right thing. We want to do the Christ thing. You know? And we're happy to put ourselves out there for others. And we don't mind the sacrifice. We don't want the praise. We don't want the acknowledgement. But why throw it back in my face? You know? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not here judging anybody this morning. I'm not here trying to condemn anybody this morning because I know that I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to anybody else because we are so often in this place. And you know who we really are? You know what we really want? I've got to be honest this morning. What we really want is to be validated. What we really want is to be applauded. What we really want is to be appreciated. And I'm not saying that's a good thing. But that's what we want. The truth is, as I seek to be like Jesus in the things I do, I give, I sacrifice, I pour myself into people's lives. But you know what's going on underneath? You know what's so often going on underneath? Under my breath there is a complaint there. I'm working hard. I'm working hard and no one appreciates it. I'm working hard. Really, 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 I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind if I knew at least somebody appreciated what I am doing. Truth is, I want the praise. The truth is, I want the acknowledgement. Why? Because I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. How do I know I'm doing the right thing? Because I've seen Jesus do it. I've seen Jesus do it. I'm doing it. So show some respect. I get to the bottom of the escalator. I go, is that really me? I was describing me. Is that really who I am? Again, I've got to get closer than what I see, people. I really do. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. The natural man 
receives not the things of the Spirit of God, because they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. And it says, ask the question, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But here it is. But we have been given the mind of Christ. This is who we really are. This is the depth. This is what we've got to see. Not with our eyes, but in our relationship with him. Put simply, God has given us the capacity to be able to discern spiritual things. Christian, you have the right stuff. You know that? You really do. The right stuff. We have the mind of Christ and the scripture tells us that we have to allow the mind of Christ to dominate our lives. This is seeing beyond what we see with our eyes. And you, like me, know that we have a choice. We can either allow the mind of Christ or our carnal mind to control us. You see, I was just describing to you a carnal mind, you know. Let me ask you a question. If you could have anybody's mind, let's just go throughout all of human history. If you could have anybody's mind, whose mind would you choose? Now, don't answer me because I know whose mind you've already chosen. You want the mind of Christ. You want the mind of Jesus Christ. Imagine what it would be like. Now, I'm talking about how Christ was when he walked upon this earth. This was his mind. Imagine what it would be like to have precognition. Imagine that. To know what people think even before they think them. Imagine what it would be like knowing all things. Imagine what it would be like never being able, not being able to learn anything. Not because you're a dummy, but not being able to learn anything because you know everything and there's nothing left for you to learn. You know that's your destiny? You'll be known even as you are known. When Christ returns... Perfect knowledge, but right now, that, that's not the case. But just imagine what it would be like. What I'm trying to say is the mind of Jesus Christ has the capacity to do absolutely anything. It had no limitations. He had no superiors. He could not be manipulated. He could not be deceived. He could not be entrapped. It was simply impossible to get the better of Jesus Christ. You go, yes, I want that mind. But his thing, this is that depth where I want you to go. Because the scripture tells us that the true greatness of the mind of Christ is not found in those qualities that would give us an advantage over other people like I've just described. No, no, no. Paul said this. Are you there in Philippians? He said this in verse 5 of chapter 2. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So being in the form of God refers to his essential nature in which he was the eternal God. You know, he had chosen not to use his divinity 
To his own advantage, Jesus being in the very form of God himself. It says, we will read, it did not consider equality to be equal with God. In other words, to be equal with God in order to use it to his own advantage over other people. No, no, no. He didn't want to communicate that to us. And that's not the example that he wants us to follow. No, he wanted to communicate to you and I, not by outward display of eternal of his eternal glory, but rather we need to see or he wants us to see by way of humility. That's the example. So let this mind be in you. Which literally means have this attitude. This attitude of humility. So we are being exhorted, we are being beseeched in fact to rethink the attitudes that we have based upon Christ's example. You see, it's, it's an example that sets up or sets us up in a pursuit of the most loftiest of lives that we could ever live before both man and God. What's the example? The example is of God. You go, God descending. That's the example. God descending, God emptying himself. And the mindset that we are to pursue is found in the inconceivable act of God's humility. God coming down, the almighty God. I can't understand it. But it's an example before me. Verse 7, we haven't read it yet, but it says, He made himself of no reputation. That is that God literally emptied himself. What what does it mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God emptied himself of his own divine attributes. He never ceased being God. Jesus Christ walking upon this earth never ceased being God. Because if that were possible, which it isn't by the way, If that were possible, then he would never have been God in the first place, right? Never. He never ceased being God. Divinity can never cease from being divinity. The eternal will always be the eternal. If in any moment the eternal became temporal, then it never was eternal, was it, in the first place? God never ceased from being God. So again, what did he empty himself of? Some will say it was just a metaphor, you know, and Jesus practiced self-denial and self-sacrifice for our sake. And they, and they say, well, you know, God, God it was God in a body, you know, which in itself is, I couldn't say this first service, I'm not going to be able to say it now, which in itself is unfathomable. Oh, it got it out there. Yeah. But it is an unfathomable thought, isn't it? It really is. Jesus left the glory and the splendor of heaven and came and dwelt upon the earth to serve and to save us. Truly, it is unfathomable. But that doesn't go far enough, God in a body. It doesn't go far enough. 1 Timothy 3.16 It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Yeah, the Bible says that. Divinity veiled himself, 
in humanity and emptied himself of the outward display of his glory. And so, doing that, he became an example for us to follow. The example was that he now led, it lived in this life as one that was dependent upon his Father in heaven. He simply just didn't show up, and he could have, by the way. He simply just didn't show up and demand rights as God. He didn't storm onto the scene demanding a throne. No. He came, he walked amongst us, and he revealed the Father to us. That's... That's why he would say in John's Gospel, I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, that's important, but the will of the Father who has sent me. Look, I'm not saying I understand this. And anyone who says they do I think is a liar. I don't understand it, but there is a laying down of his own rights as God and taking up in human form a dependence upon the Father for you and I to follow. For you and I to follow. He sought the Father for direction. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was no mere metaphor. Now we can all stop and think about what that plunge must have been like, right? What that plunge from the eternal glory into or down to earth to be like a man. We can, we can begin to imagine or we can try and, and work that out in our own mind. We might think of what it would be like for you as a person to suddenly exist as an ant or a slug or a grub or something under a rock in the earth. And you could think, my goodness, you, you could think of that, but it simply pales by comparison to the plunge that the eternal God took to become one of us. Here's the problem. We can't do that contrast. In our own minds, we can't make that contrast. Why? Because we don't have the point of reference. We don't have that point of reference. We we don't have a true concept of what glory really is. We have the hope of glory... We have the hope of knowing, of being in the presence of God. Well, that's our destiny, as I keep saying. We have the hope of it. But truly, to truly embrace who and what God is in all of his glory, we have no real concept and no ability to be able to extrapolate from that all the way down to what it is to be a human being. So it's pointless to try. But, but what we realise simply is that he had to become one of us to to communicate his love to us. And isn't that what love, true love, always does? Isn't it? It condescends. It doesn't lord over. Love doesn't do that. It condescends down. True love comes down and meets the object of its love's need. What do we need? Well, we need forgiveness. That's what we need. Man once lived in perfect harmony with his loving God. Man was completely innocent and without consciousness of guilt. But sin entered in and changed all of that, didn't it? And then what did man begin to do? He began to live for himself. You can see it, it's permeated throughout humanity. 
Everybody needs to be validated. Everybody needs to be applauded. Everybody needs to be appreciated. Self it is. And self is there corrupting everything from the cradle to the grave. But Jesus came to show us a higher way. A higher way. As verse 7 there in Philippians tells us. But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. In other words, he didn't just come and be any man, but he became, what did we just read? He became a servant. The word is doulos. The word is actually slave. That's what he became. A slave, the lowest possible position that he could find himself in, in the world that he came to. He wasn't born in a mansion. He wasn't born in a king's palace. Where was he born? He was born amongst the animals. The almighty God appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed, needing to be taught how to talk and how to walk and to be a little child and to grow up. The king of the universe, the Lord of glory, voluntarily became a pauper for your sake, for our sake. Think about it. It's it's been well said. What did he have? He had to, well, he had to borrow a place to be born, didn't he? He had to borrow a place to be born. He had to borrow a place to, he had to borrow a boat to preach from. He had to to borrow a place to, to lay his head and sleep. He had to borrow a donkey to ride upon. He had to borrow an upper room so he could have that final meal with his disciples before... He was put to death and he had to borrow a tomb in order to be buried. Stop and think about that. He created the world. He created the universe. But the world that he created insulted him and humiliated him and rejected him. The more you think about it, the more staggering his love for us becomes. Jesus went to the lowest low that he possibly could so that he could lift you up out of the place you're in. Remember? That's what love does. So this means, and this is the glory of of what it is to be a Christian, this means that no matter what we go through, no matter how low we may find ourselves, Jesus is always there under us. He's always under us there to lift us. He can identify with your every single situation, no matter what life has dealt you. Stephen prayed in the first service this morning. He prayed, Father, forgive us when we forget that you are there for us. Because he always is. He always is. He identifies with everything for us. Think about it. God, again, the creator of heaven and earth. He he knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He wept. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He knew what it was to be put to death by the very creature that he created and loved. He knows. And that's what says in verse 8, being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. 
he willingly and he graciously offered himself to the death that we deserve, that we might experience the life that he has to give us. It's incomprehensible to stop and think about the cruelty of the cross. What he willingly took. He hung upon that cross for us. He was nailed to that cross. And as he hung there, his joints gradually dislocated as he tried to push himself up on those nails so that he can open up his lungs and bring oxygen into his lungs so he could breathe. And then he would have to drop himself down onto those nails and hang from the nails in his hands. And then when he needed breath again, again to take the weight off those hands, he would push himself up on those nails, open up his lungs and drop himself back down onto those nails. Not, and, and that's forgetting about the fact that the flesh had been scourged from his back. His internal organs were exposed. Do you want to hear this? But he did this. But you know that wasn't the worst of it? That wasn't the true horror of the cross? The true agony of the cross is what he endured for you and I in the sense that everything that humanity has done in betrayal against God, every evil, selfish purpose, every betrayal of innocence was poured upon his perfect soul for you. He experienced the darkness of it all. Hey, I know what it's like to walk around with guilt, right? You've done something wrong, you've betrayed someone that you love and you just can't rest with it, can you? You can't go to bed at night, you have to because you're a child of God. You have to go to that person, you have to ask for forgiveness, you have to put it right. That's just one betrayal. But he took everything of all of humanity upon his perfect soul and he bore the consequence of it and he didn't shirk from it in any way he took it upon himself and he died for us he died for us he paid the price for humanity and that love is just too staggering for us to truly be able to understand that's why I said we've got to go deeper than what we see with our eyes you know He did that and then it was written down for us that we can stop and we can rethink the attitudes that we have towards the people around us. That we might be motivated to live a life in humble service. This is who we are, child of God. What do people need from us? What do they need from us? Well, if we follow the example of Christ, the model of humility... You've got to take the high road, which means getting down low, doesn't it? Getting down so low. It means serving regardless of personal cost. See, that's what it is to imitate Christ. And it doesn't demand acknowledgement. It doesn't demand all those things that I described to you as I walked, came to the bottom of that escalator. No. And now you think, but that's too hard. But honestly, what would life be like? You say, I can't do that. That's too, I can't do that. I can't live like that. But hang on a minute. We are all called to live like that. And let me ask you, what would life be like 
if every one of us genuinely considered others more important than ourselves? What would this world be like? But what would church be like, people, if we came into this place every single week or whenever we came into one another's presence? What would it be like if we lived for that person, if we're willing to lay down no greater love, Jesus said, no greater love can a man have than to lay down his life for his brother? What would it be like If we had no possession that we could put above the need of another person. Because let's be honest, we all do. If it didn't matter, if it wasn't comparable to the life that God has put in front of us, that we have the ability to get under and to lift up and meet that need. What would it be like? Imagine what it would be like if we genuinely prayed that prayer. Lord, give us the eyes to see as Jesus sees. See, now I'm not just imitating what I see him do. Now I'm asking Lord to give me the eyes to see what he sees. Imagine what it would be like. Imagine the environment of the church of Jesus Christ. But let's not imagine. Let's not wonder. Let's just choose it, hey? Let's just choose such a life. Let's just choose such a church. We've got to get closer than what we see. We really do. Choose to imitate Jesus in your selfless service to one another. Jesus had no personal agendas. He came to do the will of the Father. His eyes were fixed upon the Father. He emptied himself of inexpressible glory. Something that we couldn't even begin to comparably value. He emptied himself of it all. He esteemed others better than himself. He lived and died for all mankind without distinction. He did it without a need of validation. He did it without a need of applause. He did it without a need of appreciation. He lived this beautiful, humble life of reckless love. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's the example we follow. Can I leave you there? And can I, along with the Apostle Paul, simply say, I beseech thee, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. I beseech thee, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Wow. So you know what? Now that I've said all of that, it doesn't seem so far away really doesn't seem that hard because Christ has done it already for me. He's done it for me. And I've just got to walk where he wants me to walk. Amen? Amen. As the worship team comes forward, um, in 1873, in Dublin, D.L. Moody that famous, see that's the wrong word, but that, that great man of God, he was an American evangelist, he was in Dublin in England and he was listening to an, another evangelist by the name of Henry Varley and Henry Varley uttered these life-changing words 
that changed that man's view of himself and his heart towards others. And D.L. Moody is one of the greatest Christians that have walked since the Apostle Paul. He stands high. It's hard to say that, but he stands high in the list with so many others that have changed society, culture, because they've dared, they've dared to humble themselves. You know what he said? This is what he heard Vardy preach. Vardy said these words, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. It was about a year later he saw Vardy again and he pulled Vardy aside after a service and, uh, and he said to him, Hey, do you remember what you said? Remember those words that you said? And guess what? Vardy didn't remember what he said. And so Moody then told him. In fact, before I go on, Moody said he left Vardy and everywhere that he went, he saw those words inscribed. He saw them inscribed, he said, on the deck planks of the ship that he sailed back to the United States. He walked down the street and he saw them inscribed on the street. Not literally, but he saw it everywhere, in everything, in every opportunity. He saw those words, the world has yet to see. What God would do with and for and through and in a man who is faithfully and wholeheartedly consecrated to the Lord. You know what he said to Vardy a year later? He said, Vardy, remember those words, what you said? Nope. He said, well, this is what you said. The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholeheartedly consecrated to him and I'm determined to be that man. And he became one of those men. It was just a choice. It's just a choice, people. It's a choice that we make today. To recklessly love one another. Amen? You can do that. God's given you the right stuff. His spirit. To set you on that highest of, highest of callings. To humble yourself before man and God. And to see this world change for his glory and his name's sake. Amen. Let's worship him, shall we? Thanks, Steve.